0: Right. I hope you'll have a great, that's a full, that's a full group this morning. I hope you'll have a great, great morning. Uh, the rest of us, we're going to continue our theme uh, with the sermon this morning of thinking about how the Bible speaks into adoption and orphan care. And just real quick again, just to frame this a little bit, how did we get here? How did we get here? Um, in God's kindness, we have a number of people in our church family that have a heart for orphans and children in need. Um, And these people have been wading into these waters for multiple years now, as Sandy just shared. Our sending church, downtown Presbyterian, that that sent us out uh, a year and a half ago, um, had some ministries in this area, and so it was sort of the collective heart of that church as well. Uh, But this adoption and orphan care ministry team um, is really this uh, beautiful picture of God providing a group of people already serving in this area in our church Um, that want to get people in our church together to mobilize and and, um, serve as a church body in this important area. Um, I said this at the beginning of the service. I try to every week. We talk a lot about our vision of seeing every person in every surrounding neighborhood gathered together around the good news of Jesus Christ and made new in him. If you've been around our church much, you've probably heard that before. And uh, this room is a beautiful picture of that, right? God gathering different people together, being made new in Jesus, all centered around the good news of the gospel. And then we, we now dream and pray of people outside of our walls coming into that, of God reaching them and bringing them together around the gospel that we might be worshiping as one. And, and as you pray and dream about who God might call into our church family, we all have ideas and, and images about who that might be. I want you to think about our theme of the morning. Um, Recent statistics say that there are just under 900 children in the foster care system in Greenville County as of this summer. Just over 3,000 in the upstate. So 900 in Greenville County. That means right here in our surrounding neighborhoods, there are children without homes. Um, Reaching and caring for these vulnerable children is actually right at the heart of our vision As a church. And this is something very near to the heart of God and actually flows directly out of the core gospel truths that we proclaim, which we'll see this morning. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. It's in your bulletin. If not, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into, your, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you have said that it's living and active. That it actually does something to us as we avail ourselves to it. So, Father, would you be at work by your spirit, applying it to our hearts. Do what only your spirit can do through your word this morning. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, so three headings this morning that I want to think about this. I want to talk about life under the law. Then I want to talk about life as a child of God. Then I'm going to make two applications. Life under the law. Life as a child of God. And then two applications. First, let's talk about life under the law. Look at verse 1 again. This is really interesting. He jumps in sort of mid-thought. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What is Paul saying here? The main theme of Galatians will help us understand these verses. The main issue in Galatia was that false teachers were telling believers that they had to follow uh, Jewish ceremonial laws in order to truly be saved. Um, They were essentially making the argument that that salvation in Jesus was not by faith alone, but it was faith plus specific kinds of obedience. That's sort of the backdrop here. And in our passage, Paul is telling him. Okay, this is what it's like to live under law. If you're going to do as these false teachers are telling you, this is what that's going to be like. The late scholar John Stott summarized it this way. He says, Under the law, Paul says that men were like an heir during his childhood. Let us picture a boy who is the heir to a great estate. One day it will all be his. Indeed, it is already his by promise, but not yet an experience because he's still a child. During his childhood, although he is lord of all the estate by title... He is yet no better off than a slave. Okay, so Paul is saying that to live under the law is to live as though we are still under the law, awaiting that promised Redeemer to come. It's to ignore the reality that Jesus has already come and set us free. That's the tension behind our text. And he says that to live this way is to be enslaved. Look at verse 3. He talks about being enslaved to the elementary principles ...of the world, and and different commentators weigh in on this phrase... ...both here and it comes later in verse 9 after our passage. It has to do with living in this legalistic way... ...even under demonic influence to continue in legalism... ...rather than living in the freedom that is ours in Christ. Here's a translation. Um, To find our standing before God... ...based on uh, following a set of specific rules... ...is not freedom, but that's slavery... It feels more attainable, more measurable, but it is in direct contradiction to the freedom that is ours in Christ. Years ago, um, in my first job right out of college, I worked with a guy who was on uh, legal probation. He was on probation with the law. I don't know what crime he committed. Um, I don't know if if he had served time prior to getting this job. All I knew was we worked together. He was on probation. He was really open about this. He had actually come to faith in Christ at some point along this journey. Um, and so for this guy to be on probation, um, it meant that he had certain restrictions on his life, uh, as you might imagine, certain um, places he could or could not travel. Um, the primary restriction that I observed in his life was that he was required to check in with a probation officer on a regular basis. And this officer was to monitor his progress, to make sure he was you know, obeying the law. They sort of had like a microscope on him. Uh, during this whole time to make sure he was doing what he was doing not doing what he shouldn't be doing and by the way that may be a part of your story maybe a part of your past um, and that that was for this guy um, and he had a great job we were coworkers. he was married he had children in many ways you wouldn't know that he was on probation just looking at his life um, unless he told you but if you put yourself in his shoes you can imagine the the weight of that probation sentence always hanging over him You always have those regular check-ins with the officer, this constant reminder. It's just a burden that weighs on you. You might get used to living with that burden, but it's still a burden that weighs you down. Now, I will never forget when his um, probation sentence ended. He was ecstatic, as you might imagine. So relieved, so overjoyed, massive celebration, legally free and clear. It was done. Uh, no more probation. No need to check in with the officer any, anymore. He was sort of freed from being under the eye of the law, under that microscope, examining his every move. He was back in full standing as a citizen, which is amazing, right? It was such a cool story to watch that happen through a peer. All right, I want you to think about this guy. Imagine that even after his probation sentence ended, had the big party that he got in his car and drives back to the station and sits down in the office with his probation officer and says, all right, I'm, I'm here for my check-in. The probation officer would be, what, what are you doing here? You're done. You don't have to be here anymore. You're done. You need to get out of here. You are free and clear in the eyes of the law. This is over. It would be crazy for him to continue to go back and live as though he is under probation when he is no longer under probation, but He's free. Paul is saying to these Galatians, why are you living under the burden of the law in these legalistic ways when Christ has already come and set you free? In the context of the Galatians, it was this Jewish ceremonial law and likely some Gentile pagan rituals that were being thrown into the mix, which I'd be willing to bet is not likely our struggle with legalism for any of us, but we still have the same tendencies in our heart um to be enslaved to living legalistically rather than living in the freedom that is ours in Christ. You could say that legalism if you need sort of like a definition would be adding to the law of God and then imposing that law on yourself and others in order to confirm your standing before God. So legalism would be adding to the law of God and imposing that law on yourself and others in order to confirm your standing before God. Meaning that you obey these additional rules and you've earned God's approval and you're in good standing with Him. But If you disobey these additional rules, you're outside of God's favor, you're outside of good standing with Him. And it could be really good things, right? that, That become sort of legalism or legalistic for you. Like maybe certain devotional practices. Well, that's a great thing. It's a good thing to read your Bible and pray, right? When you lock into, you know, it has to be this certain way. And if, And if I don't do this every day for this amount of time, then it's going to mess up my standing before God. And then you start to use that as a grid for your own standing before the Lord and for that with other people. Or maybe it's how you spend your time on the Lord's Day, right? You have a specific way you think about that, and that sort of becomes a a legalistic rule for you that you, you impose on yourself and maybe on others, right? These are important things in Scripture, but maybe they don't have the clarity that we would want. So legalism can cause us to create clarity... And then make those things new laws that we're adding to God's laws. And then we use it to decide whether we're in good standing with God or not. And you can imagine what the evil one does with that, right? It takes these things and just presses in on us. And so our life in Christ can be twisted into something where it's a burden to perform. Where following Jesus is this burden to perform and to get it just right for us and others. And it doesn't feel like freedom anymore, but it feels like slavery. That's life under the law. It's to live according to this old reality. But Paul is telling us that things are different now. Let's talk about life as a child of God. Look at verse 4 and following in our passage. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So Paul transitions from talking about life under law to saying, all right, you've been adopted by God. We, we recited the larger catechism earlier. The shorter catechism, which is a shorter version of the, longer, of the larger catechism, gives us a great definition of adoption. This is actually in your neighborhood group discussion questions for this week. Here's how it defines the adoption that is ours from God. It's an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. Okay, so how do we become a child of God? It says that in verses 4 and 5, and the the catechism summarizes by saying that it's an act of God's free grace. It's an act of God's free grace. That's how we become a child of God. Jesus came and took on flesh. It says that He was born under the law into the same condition which we found ourselves. How did we do under the law? Not good. We did not do well. We failed. Our sin is so bad that we could not keep God's law. Um, Imagine the kindest, most pure-hearted person that you know. Even that person has failed to keep God's law. Paul says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short. Every one of us. We could not make it under the law. How did Jesus do under the law? Perfectly. He not only met the minimum requirements, but he fulfilled it perfectly. What does it look like to follow God's righteous rules to perfection. It looks like Jesus. It looks like the life of Jesus. He was born under the law and yet he perfectly fulfilled the law. And it says in our passage that he came to redeem those who were under the law. He came to free us of our bondage to sin. How? By buying us back and paying the debt that our sin deserved on the cross. And so somehow after living this perfectly righteous life, Jesus goes to the cross to die to pay for our sin and to buy us back to redeem us. Some call this the great exchange where He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. How do we get it? By faith. We receive and rest on what Jesus has done. And He takes our sin and He gives us His righteousness. And that is how we are justified before God. How we're redeemed from being under the law. Uh, we are, like, in the heart of college football season right now. Some of you love that. Some of you don't really care. Uh, but it's sort of everywhere around us. It's hard to go a day without hearing something about college football right now. Um, one of the things you hear a lot about that sort of make big headlines are the contracts, the financial contracts that some of these coaches get into, especially kind of some of the big-time coaches that are national names. Um, okay, so... Um, Specifically, uh, because coaching can have a high turnover rate, they build in um, these things, these clauses in contracts that are called buyouts. Um, all right, so this means that if a college decides to fire a coach to see the team is underperforming, they fire the coach before the contract is up, they have to pay them an, an agreed upon amount because they are breaking the original contract. Or another way a buyout works is if a college wants to hire a coach from another college, they have to pay that buyout in order to break the contract and hire him. One coach recently received a $15 million buyout. Just the buyout. Okay, think about this from the perspective of another team going after a coach under contract. That means they not only have to buy out this coach, they have to pay the fee to break the contract, but then they also, when they hire him, they have to pay him a salary. So they have to pay twice in this situation. They pay the debt that's hanging over the coach's head. But they also pay him the normal compensation. Okay, this great exchange happens when Jesus pays our debt of sin, buys us back from under the law, He redeems us. But then He also credits our account with His righteousness. That is the good news. That is how we are justified and then adopted by God. That is how we enter the family of God. We're redeemed from under the law, adopted into God's family. What is life like as a child of God? Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so this is saying that we are in God's family now. Sons and daughters of God. And along with this, according to verse 6, comes the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit living inside of us so that we can approach God as our Father and cry out to Him as a child cries out to their Father. So our status has changed. We are no longer enslaved, but we are now sons and daughters. As the Catechism says, we now have a right to all of the privileges of the children of God. All those rights are now ours. You have a right to every privilege as a child of God. Right now, you have that. If You've entrusted yourself to Christ. You're fully a child of God. A few years ago, um, I asked a friend to, to recount their experience of adopting a child internationally. And I sent an email to her and her husband. Uh, just, you know, speak into this. was? What, what it, you know, my wife and I have not done this. What does it feel like? when adoption becomes finalized. These were her words from an email. She said, The first time I felt that our adoption was official was when we boarded the plane with our daughter to come home. The moment we got in a car to make the drive to the airport and board a plane home, I was flooded with relief. Relief that brought me to tears. This precious child now forever had a family to call her own. A child that I loved from across the ocean for years without her fully understanding we could now actually try to begin to convince her just how loved she was. And no one could tell her or us otherwise. Also, all the barriers that we had to work through for the previous years were suddenly no longer. This brought such great joy. All of the heartache that came along with the whole process was all of a sudden so clearly worth it because she was here. And suddenly we were able to hold her, talk to her, kiss her because the paperwork, the interviews, the home study, all that work had all been taken care of. I'm still so very thankful. Do you hear what this parent said? We can now actually try to begin to convince her just how loved she was. Um, We've been adopted by God, and part of what this means is that God, by His Holy Spirit, will spend the rest of our lives convincing us of how loved we are by Him. You know, that's like a main thing of our sanctification of our growing in Christ is to believe, to really believe more and more that God loves us. And he's committed by his spirit to convincing us of that. Think about the uh, love that uh, a, a child has for a parent. Um, your child, your, 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 your um, love for a child, it's not based on how they perform Uh, In a soccer game, it's not based on how they do in a test. Your love for them is going to stay the same regardless. Right? Um, God's love for us is so much greater. He's given us His Spirit to spend the rest of our lives convincing us of how much He loves us. Um, Life as a child of God means just that. It means life as a child. Not as a slave, not as a worker, but as a child. Okay, we talked about life under law life as a child let's think about just two applications the first application of this is this in christ you've been adopted by god that's the first application in christ you've been adopted by god and if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a follower of jesus maybe you're considering what the bible says first of all welcome we're really glad that you're here. Thank you for being willing to listen. This may be a new paradigm for you. um, But living as a Christian, however you think about that, one of the primary things it means is living as a child of God. As one adopted into his family. And that's the invitation this morning. uh, To turn away from a life of rebellion against God and to embrace the work of Jesus on your behalf so you can enter the household of God as one of His children. Um, If you're here and you do believe, uh, you're a follower of Jesus, um, this good news of your being adopted into the family of God, of being a child of God, it's a truth that you need to sit in every day. Our hearts need this every day. I remember hearing a dad tell me one time that as he talks about um, any type of grades or performance um, with his children, he always talks about it, he always couples it with saying something like, look, I love you no matter how you did in your game. Or I love you no matter how your test goes. This is not a matter of me loving you or not. Um, Or he always makes sure the last thing that his kids hear when he drops off at school is, Hey, I love you so much. Um, This is a father who is making sure that his children know that his love is not based on their performance, but their status as beloved children is secure. They're they're his kids. Um, God has given his spirit to remind us and to convince us of this. And we need to listen to it daily. Because we're so hardwired to think of ourselves as though we're performing for God in order to get His affection when we already have it as His children. This is the first application. Remember the reality of your status as a beloved child of God on a daily basis. He's so compassionate. Second, can you see how this leads to us having a heart for adoption and orphan care? Um, we were the orphans with no family. No way to earn our way into the family of God. But this good Father moved towards us when we had nothing to offer but our need. And He redeemed us from under the law, brought us into the family of God as His children. This is the heartbeat of the good news. God moves towards those in need, meets their need, brings them into the family. And we have a real, tangible way to express this truth in our community, we don't have always have really direct applications in our sermons on Sundays, right? Um, but throughout the scriptures, we're actually told that the way um, the way we view the most vulnerable is our direct as a, a direct reflection of our nearness to God. We read this earlier, James chapter one twenty seven. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This was actually, if you read church history, uh, right when the New Testament church sort of started, you can read non-believing historians say that this was one of the primary testimonies of the early church. Christians were taking care of children that no one else wanted to take care of. Children that were literally being put out to the street. The Christians were the ones that were picking them up and bringing them in and caring for them. It's all throughout the Scripture. It's all throughout the history of the church. There is this calling to take a step forward and to tangibly care for orphans. Um, I've heard from multiple people in our church family over recent months uh, just sort of say in passing that God is sort of stirring in them to take the next step into the adoption and orphan care world. So some of you are already like sort of really thinking hard about this even before you know doing something like this. Uh, during a worship service Um, others of you maybe had not even really thought at all about this until you walked in the door you did not know we were going to talk about this this morning Um, the question to consider though is what would be the realistic doable next step for you what's the realistic doable next step for you in the world of adoption and orphan care maybe it's something like grabbing one of the books off the table on your way out and just reading a book Maybe it starts with just understanding more of the need and more of what this could look like and how your faith shapes that and and how that interacts together. Maybe it's reading a book. There are free books on the table. Uh, Maybe it's grabbing coffee. Maybe you recognize a name on that insert of someone in our church family that's already in this world and it's just grabbing coffee and say, hey, tell me about this. I want to hear about this. I want to pray for you and just see how God might be stirring this. Or maybe it's full steam ahead and start the process of becoming a foster parent or start pursuing... Adoption. What's the realistic next step for you? That's what I want to leave you with. That's what I want you to think about this morning. Because all of this flows outside out of God's heartbeat of His care for us. His adoption of us. His movement towards us. God is not asking us to do anything that He has not already done for us. He sacrificed His own son in order that we might be adopted into His family forever and experience all of the joys, all the privileges of being a child of God. And now we have a concrete opportunity to share in the heart of the Father, and to care for the vulnerable in our surrounding neighborhoods. Let's do that together as a church. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the good news that You move towards those in need. None of us would be here this morning if You did not move towards the needy, the vulnerable. We were the ones without a home, without a family, because of our sin, and You pursued us. You bore the cost Jesus, on yourself on the cross to pay the debt of our sin, to redeem us from being under the law, to bring us into the family of God, to adopt us as sons and daughters. And this means a lot of things, but one of the things that is true for us this morning is that you really love us as children. Father, would you sink that deeply into our hearts and may that overflow into a tangible love for vulnerable children in our community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for us to come.